Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 288 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is... September 30th, 2013, a big show for you this week on the podcast. Of course, the big news, USC firing head coach Lane Kiffin after a 3-2 and two start, losing seven of the last 11 games. So we're going to talk to Dan Weber later on the show and Coach Harvey Hyde all about what that means for the USC program going forward. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call 206-888-6755 or go to parastylepodcast.com. And leave a voicemail right on the page there. Without further ado, wanted to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde. Wow, Coach, a crazy couple of days. It has been a crazy couple of days. And, uh, Ryan, before we get started, I want to, uh, of course, thank Southern California Ticket Service for the sponsorship of our show. You know, they have been loyal to the USC football uh, podcast. USCfootball.com podcast. They've sponsored it, and I want to thank Curtis over there that does this for us. And I don't have the number with me. I just know his local I'll, number by heart. Yeah, I know, but it's it's uh, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. I, yeah. I want to get all the commercial stuff done first, and my Twitter is at Coach Harvey Hyde. So if yeah. you want to follow me. We'll get that out there, too. And if you want to get yours out there, get that out there, too. Yeah, and it's uh, so at Coach Harvey Hyde for the coach. Uh, I'm at Inside Troy, and uh, we've been tweeting quite a bit. I was at the, the press conference tweeting, and uh, there's been a lot of happy people coaching. Coach, maybe I play this statement for you real quick, and this kind of sums up a way the way that a lot of USC fans are feeling right now. Hi, this is Al from uh, Pennsylvania. I love this show, and I would just like to say, ding dong, that clown is gone. Happy days, happy days, fight on. So, not the nicest statement, but a lot of people were saying stuff like that, Coach. I think, what did you think about this, how this all went down? Well, let me let me put it to you this way, Ryan. <clears throat> I never ad- advocate the firing of anybody because it's a very difficult situation for a program, its fans, uh, the football players that were recruited there for and wanted to play for Coach Kiffin. Uh, the whole thing is a very difficult situation. His family, his kids, the future of his uh, career, also uh, USC and where they're headed. So I just wanted to get that out there. And, you know, there's timing for everything, you know. And I think there's times when, where it's just time that you, when you think, when you think someone is out there in the middle of ocean of the ocean and can't find the land, and he doesn't know what to do, and you throw him a rope, and you say, "Come aboard." I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he's relieved. Uh, not that he didn't uh, campaign to keep his job, but can you imagine the stress he's been going through? Can you imagine all the 
criticism. I don't even know who his friends are, or where he goes out. He's a very type secretive type of person. Uh, and he had difficulties with just about everything since he arrived at USC. The media, parents, the fans, sometimes players. Uh, a little of everything. And I think it just all boiled to a pot at the top where Pat Hayden said, you know, it's better for everybody. It's better for Lane. It's better for the USC football program, the players, the entire university to make a change. I did a four-hour radio show yesterday on ESPN in L.A. Wow. And I never had one caller call and say, Coach, they did the wrong thing. I had most of them call. Some were excited like our caller just was some are just saying what's going to happen now but uh i think it's a relief to everyone i think it it was time for a change and i hate to say that being a former coach you hate to see anyone lose their get, get their job because it affects everybody the coaches on the staff will they be retained do they start looking for a job right away what happens to the recruits out there that were already verbally committed are they still going to stay verbally committed uh, when are they going to name to who the new football coach? Who's the new football coach going to be? These are all distractions to the program now. So there's additional distractions uh, that now have come about uh, uh, since uh, Coach Kiffin has been relieved of his duty. So it's a difficult situation, but yet it had to be done for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think in a way he had lost the team. I didn't know what was going on in staff meetings, but there really, really was an identity. Uh, what would have happened Thursday if they came back into the Coliseum? What type of greeting would those kids have had and Coach Kiffin had with, with three recruits there on a national TV audience? It would have, would have been ugly. So you try to, you know, write it out of the script. And you continue to move forward with Coach Ed Orgeron, which I think – uh, is a tremendous leader, and he'll be evaluated. I think he's a strong candidate. You could do worse uh, as far as a head football coach. At least he's aware of the situation, the players like him, and all this and that. So I think right now the, they've taken a step forward to correct or put a bandage on the bleeding. And you've also taken the gun out of Coach Kiffin's mouth. And he can now kick back. They owe him a lot of money. He can regroup his life, decide what he wants to be and do, and move forward. He has a wonderful family. It happens to a coach. If you stay in coaching long enough, it's going to happen to you. Unfortunately, it happened to him at Oakland and Tennessee. It wasn't a – I don't think he can go back in that state. <laughs> no. <laughs> and in Southern California, it happened, unfortunately, there. And when you look at these three positions – you say, yes, he was a great recruiter at USC. Now, I'm going to give him that credit. But look what he was recruiting to. USC, is it hard to recruit to USC? I don't know. I would like to see him or some other people recruit at Akron or UNLV or some of these other schools. So you've got to be able to find someone who has done it somewhere where it wasn't supposed to happen and has worked his way up with him and his staff to a position where 
if he could be successful at one of those universities, look what he might be able to do at USC. So it's all part of now Pat Hayden's responsibility to go out there and find who that person is. Just because necessarily that person is has a big name in other areas of life and other coaching positions, that doesn't mean that he can get it done at SC. Until you've sat in the head coaching positions desk and office, you don't know what it's all about. Great offensive recruiting uh, offensive coordinators, that didn't mean he's going to be a great head football coach. So right now, I think everyone is relieved. The fans are relieved. The university is relieved from all the practice uh, pressure. Practices are going to open up again to the media, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it opens up again to the public. Things are going to try to get restored. Coach uh, Ed Orgeron is a very outgoing person. Uh, exactly an opposite from Lane Kiffin, not that he didn't have his way. And as I said it yesterday, one thing that Lane Kiffin did, right or wrong, how we feel about it, he did it his way. And we don't have to agree with it, but he did it his way. Whether he was successful, he went out with his way. But it's something that happened, and um, it's very unfortunate for him. But I think, you know, there's a lot of divorces in life. <laughs> and and this is one. Um, there's a there's a, a that was kind of a discouraging voicemail. Here's a more encouraging email from Luke. And he said, I just uh, watched how everyone on the USC football team thanked Lane Kiffin, starting with Pat Hayden and Ed Orgeron and uh, Mark uh, Marcus Martin and Devon Kennard. He really appreciates how Ed was grateful uh, for what Lane did for him. He was also impressed that Pat Hayden uh, said so many nice things about Lane Kiffin. So I, Luke's happy that the way it went down, no one was really saying bad things about Lane on his way out. Are you going to play? Is that? Oh no, I'm sorry. It wasn't email? a voice. No, it wasn't a voice, but just a just a regular uh, te- uh, okay. email question on that one. Sorry about well, that. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It was a very smooth transition. Uh, people tried to make a little bit of a controversy on how it was done and where it was done and all this and that. But when you when you let someone go, I'd rather know as a coach before I went home where I stood rather than stay up all night and wonder what the firing squad is going to be like in the morning. I'd rather be told on the way home, go home to my family, let the team go back and know it the way they did it. And I don't think that was unprofessional. A lot of people thought that was unprofessional, the big headlines in the airport, in the airport. Where are you going to do it if you're in the airport? (laughs) You're going to drive to the hotel and do it? or go back to campus and do it, it's going to happen. So you got to do it. You didn't do it in front of the team. You didn't private. And it happened that way. So I think everyone did it the right way. It was smooth. I think you should always thank someone for their services. And uh, you feel sorry for Coach Kiffin. But, again, you don't feel sorry for Coach Kiffin because he's had great experiences in college and professional coaching at 38 years old. People live their whole life and work their whole life to be an assistant coach, maybe at a university like USC. And he's made big money. So he just happened to do it at a young age. Was he ready to be the head coach at USC? I don't know. But he was. And he had that opportunity. So now everybody's uh, hugging and kissing goodbye, Wyburn Bridges, and uh, you move on. Um, Stephen Poway actually wrote us before the 
uh, Arizona State game before the just came in late uh, from the podcast last week, but he sent it to me again because we didn't get to read his question. And uh, he was talking about if only Lane Kiffin would listen to the podcast, you know, maybe he would be able to survive the season. And then he went on to say this. So this was, you know, before uh, it was about a week ago. He says, as it is, I give Kiffin one or two more games at the most because Hayden is before Hayden is forced to promote. Ed Orgeron is interim head coach. Yes, I'm calling it here. Orgeron coach Mississippi has demonstrated he has what it takes to lead the defensive line, so why not let him be interim head coach for the season? So Steve wanted to let us know that a week ago when he saw this one coming and he nailed it. Well, yeah, it's been uh, talked about, and uh, he did nail it. Uh, I think everyone had that suspicion of when they were going to pull the trigger. Uh, what it depended a lot on every performance. Uh, I, you know, people made fun of me because of my pregame statement when I said it's death march in the desert. <laughs> There'll only be one survivor and only enough of water for one team. It was because when you go there, you had to win that football game, no matter what you thought or people. Oh, you got to play well or look good. You had to win that game. You couldn't be zero and two in last place last place, which currently USC is in the Pac-12 Southern Division. You're fighting now an uphill battle. And that's not USC. USC plays for the Rose Bowl and the National Championship. They don't play for the Sun Bowl. They don't play for the Emerald Bowl or whatever it's called. They don't play for the Holiday Bowl. Fans are only satisfied if they go to the Rose Bowl. And that's why they recruit at that level. And that's why they get recruits that come to USC because they have the opportunity of playing on a great team in a great stadium with a great tradition. They come to USC to play in the Rose Bowl or the National Championship game. And when you're not headed in that direction, it's not working. Because I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it again. You can talk about academics, which SC has. You can talk about compliance, which SC has. You can talk about all of that. But the backbone of the alumni, the student body, and everything is the football program at USC. People wear the colors with pride everywhere. Currently, right now, they're afraid to put their cardinal and gold on. They might start putting it on again. They started to rebel as far as not attending the games. They started to rebel by booing. And when you think about booing Fire Kiffin, when recruits are on the sideline, wow. That is, I mean, uh, I don't know what you call it. That is horrible. Yeah. So it had to stop. And uh, I think the timing was good. You have a, a period of longer than a normal week to regroup. Uh, and uh, you move on. And, and, you know, Coach Kiffin's not the first coach to be fired. No. Anywhere in the country. You rebound. Now he starts, like I said, it's time for me to start talking about what I've been preaching about. It's time to get up and continue. The play's not over. And when I was relieved of my duty, it was because when, when Tarkani and I were both relieved of our duty because we won too much. <laughs> and, and when we were relieved, I just stood right in front of my kids and cried and told them, I'm sorry I let them down because I brought them to UNLV. And they're probably there because of me, but they got to continue. And I'm going to practice what I've been telling you to do. I'm going to play till the final play is over. And I marched away. So, you know, that's what he should do, too. Don't go hide. 
don't go out to dinner. Be yourself. Be proud in what you did because you did it your way. And if people get on your butt about it, that's the way it is. People should leave you alone and respect you. Go ahead. All right. Uh, well, we wanted to talk. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the coaching change, but maybe one of the more disturbing aspects of that game was how the defense played. And we had a question on that. I know play, Clancy, uh, Clancy Pendergast got a lot of praise the way the defense played the first four games, but it's kind of changed, obviously, this last game. But let me play this question for you. J.D. from D.C. calling in. This is a question appropriate for Coach Hyde or and Dan Weber. Uh, in the midst of all this brouhaha over the Kiffin Farm, it seems to me Clancy Pendergast has escaped a lot of uh, well-deserved scrutiny. Uh, I think we saw a quarterback who had the uh, receivers and the ability to exploit uh, Pendergast's lopsided over-reliance upon the blitz. Uh, our defense is really exposed after looking very good against some weak teams. Uh, we're going to be playing plenty of quarterbacks who can burn us badly and make us pay for this uh, one-horse pony, I think. Uh, looking forward to the rest of the schedule, how do you see him adjusting? I did not see any of that in the second half. And it seems to me this is somewhat reminiscent of his experience at Cal where he started out hot and then faded. Well, you know, I have to agree with you. Uh, if before the game, and I've said this before yesterday, and I'll say it again, and I don't want to repeat myself if you listened yesterday. If you thought before the game USC would score 41 points, have over 500 yards in total offense on the road, you would have bet right now they'd have won that football game. Now, all of the points aren't the fault of the defense because they had a lot of turnovers, four turnovers, one pick that ran back for a touchdown. But the consistency of the defense wasn't there. And what Arizona State did was have a great game plan. They stretched the field. When you like to blitz a lot, that means the strength of your defense is where? In the middle of the field. You're going after someone that you know where he is. But against Arizona State, you didn't know where they are going to be. They ran two swing screens down on the goal line for touchdowns because they outmanned you. You were going one way and they were going the other way. They ran motion sweeps, which meant if you were coming up the middle, the ball was already handed off and the guy was going wide to the outside, which they did. They made a big game and scored a touchdown on another one. And let's don't take away the credit of Kelly's passing. His accuracy was absolutely amazing. The passes were right there. So uh, let's give Arizona State credit as far as having a great game plan for USC. And, of course, uh, they had seen that defense before. They knew how to attack that defense. So it wasn't the first time they've gone against that type of defense, and they were prepared for it. Now, the adjustments on the defensive side of the football, I think, were not made that were necessary to stop what they were trying to do. You weren't getting to Kelly. His release was very fast, if you notice. Their running backs are as good as receivers as, as they are running backs. What puzzled me was how they were confused on their lining up in the secondary. Foster caught a pass down the middle with no safety help whatsoever. It was embarrassing. It was a Pop Warner coverage. Uh, 
just ran right on by everybody, threw him the ball, and he got a touchdown that fast. So there's a lot of things like that that I wonder uh, as far as the preparation is concerned. You can't play it that way. So uh, we'll wait and see because he's going to see a lot of those type of offenses now, except for Stanford. They're going to want to line up and pound you. But I think, Kern, and I believe this when I tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, I believe SC can beat Arizona. I believe they can beat Notre Dame. I believe that they can beat uh, who they have. Uh, Oregon State's going to be a tussle for them. That's going to be a tough one up there on a Friday night. Cal is going to throw the ball all over the field, but they should be able to ball control Cal. They are running the football well. And uh, Stanford's going to be a real tough game. UCLA, well, that's a rivalry game. That's a one-game season. We'll see what happens with that. Colorado, please, let's beat them. (laughs) Utah. Utah, got to beat them. So it's not over with the season. And I think if you improve the offense to where it's effective, and I'm sorry to ramble on, but I want to tell you what I'm thinking. You can be very successful on offense. Okay, the receivers are banged up. Okay, so what do you do? Something you might have done from the beginning. You get your athletes on the field. Now, I'm not trying to tell Clay Helton what to do. I'm telling him what I would do. And I would get both tight ends on the field at all time, like Stanford did last year with their tight ends. And I would utilize them for mismatches in the secondary, in slot formations, wide slits, uh, wing sets, uh, double tight sets. And I'd run a two-back offense. Nothing against the fullbacks that are playing now. But why would you have Davis on the bench? Why wouldn't you have Madden and Davis in the game at the same time? and run the ball and pass the ball to both of those exciting players. Have your playmakers on the field, not watching the game. And you still have a great receiver in Aguilar. Blackwell's good. And you get by with that because you can put one of those backs in the slot and still have a passing formation. But utilize a two-back offense, get your athletes on the field, and you still have Buck Allen, and all that does is help Cody Kessler when you have great players surrounding him and the offensive line. I'm sorry I rambled on it. No, no, that's okay. I mean, we have questions about that, too. Like, Troy 75, uh, you know, so Ed Orgeron announced that Clay Helton would be the offensive coordinator. He was going to be the guy calling the plays. Ed Orgeron, during the press conference, said that, you know, the offense is going to look pretty similar to to what you've seen before. Um but he wanted, Troy 75 wanted to know if you thought the offense would change that much, and I think you got in a little bit of that. And if, Do you know anything about Clay Helton when he called plays at Memphis? No, I don't know anything about Clay Helton calling his plays, but you don't need to change the offense a lot. You just need to put some things into it and stay simple. I've always said, and you know I have, SC had too many, too much offense. Yeah. They ran a little bit of everything. I didn't know what identity it has. I kept saying all the time, and you people know this, what offense are they running? I don't know. Could never tell. One week it was one thing, the next week it was something else. So you take what you have in the playbook, which is probably 50 pounds, and, <laughs> and I'm just being sarcastic, right. okay? Which I shouldn't be on a day like this. That's okay. But you, you take it and you narrow it down and you put your athletes in a position where you don't get delay of games where you don't have illegal procedures, 
where you don't have people off sides or lining up on the wrong side and you're having to wave people, get over here, get over there. You make your play calling really short so people understand what you're going to do. You speed up the game a little bit. You don't take all day, but you don't have all day. And you play football. And what you do is take the eye and you add to the eye formation. You add to it fullback, uh, fullback action. Runs to the fullback. Dives, belly action with the fullback off the toss. You move your backs up much closer and you run the toss. I don't know how many people saw the LSU game and Georgia game, but they're running the same type of offense. Move them up and take advantage of your running backs. I don't think their running backs are any better than USC's running backs or their quarterbacks. If you put, if you have the run inserted in your offense, then you can do a lot of things with the passing game. And you pound them and you, and you out, and you got to have an outside game. There is no outside game at all. But Cody Kessler's not your outside game. I mean, nothing against Cody, but he just God didn't give him the speed these other guys have. So why not let Madden and why not Davis? Do that for you. Just have Cody go down the line and just toss the ball to one of these guys. Lead options, it's called. Fullback leads, cuts the first pressure, safety, the back breaks on that. I mean, little simple things. You don't want him to carry the ball. You want him to stretch the defense so that the defense just can't gang up on your backs in the middle. So it's little simple things you got to do to improve your chances to be successful. Um, you talked about the identity coach. Uh, do you think the simplicity factor is real? I, I know Dan Weber feels this way. It did seem like at times that Cody Kessler and the receivers and it just, it, they weren't able to get plays off early in the play clock. It's not a team that was really built to go quickly. Uh, you know, you're talking late third, early fourth quarter. There, there wasn't really a sense of urgency. It seemed like they were so deliberate. Um, and that was just the way that this team plays and part of it being the complexity of what's there on offense. I'm curious, and we're going to have to ask Clay Helton about this when they get back to practice on Wednesday this week. Um, is it, it Can they simplify things? Do you think that's something that they can do, take the current playbook, try to simple, simplify things, shorten it up a little bit, and let Clay Helton call the plays? Is that possible in, in the coaching world? Certainly it is. It's, it's, uh, these are intelligent kids. These kids have played football their entire life. You could ask them, well, how do you want to call this play? And they'd tell you. These kids are smart. Coaches are smart. You can't have players thinking before the snap of the ball. You've got to have them ready for the snap of the ball. And, uh, and this is part of uh, when you have great athletes, you don't mess them up. You polish them up. And you have them ready to, you know, get out there and make headlines. And, and, and I think they've been confused the whole time. Uh, when you have receivers next to each other, I hope that route wasn't called. <laughs> but you're not, you know, or designed that way. But you see so many times two receivers next to each other. That's not stretching the, the secondary. You have the middle of the field that you never utilize, which are great players, tight ends, posts, different slants, different things that you want to use where 
you make the defensive back feel like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to cover now? You run comeback routes when they have the fly. So he turns around, you stop, come back to the football, throw to a spot. You have all kinds of different things that you do that are simple off of routes. They're all correlated. They all go together so that it makes it simple for kids to understand why you're doing something. Why, if they do this, we're going to do that. We're not just going to call a play to call a play. And I think that's the number one thing that, you know, kids have to understand. Because, you know, kids can call a game. They understand it when it's simple. They know more than anybody. When they come off the field, I used to ask them, what do you have in there? What do you see going on? What do you think will work? I used to grab Randall Cunningham and say, Randall, tell me. Did you see the backside post on that? He was wide open. He said, yeah, coach, I'll hit him next time. Or if it was third down and two, he'd come over to me. We'd stand there, and I'd say the first thing, well, what do you think? He says, coach, that backside slant, they're not expecting now. I'm going to roll to the right, and I'm going to throw back. I said, you sure? He says, I'm sure. I said, well, if it's not there, look for the out. Look for the out on your side. He says, okay, well, what do you think the chances are that play is going to be successful, Ryan? Pretty high, Pretty good. Right? Yeah. He, he you know why? He's doing. <laughs> he suggested it. Yeah. And if he comes off, I'm going to say, what happened? And he understands it then. So it's being a team. It's not being a dictator. Dictatorship works good, but yeah, that's not always the best way of doing it with kids. No. no. <laughs> uh, well, one last thing before we let you go, Coach. What do you think? Where do you think USC goes from here as far as like trying to hire a coach? Well, I think they've already started doing this. I think they've had feelers out. You can't kid me. Uh, not talking to coaches, but talking to agents. Maybe not Pat Hayden, but somebody. I know boosters know boosters and how that all works. Uh, and uh, name surface, you, you, you know the same names I do. But again, if you're USC, and I said this yesterday, you go after anybody in the country. Would you rather live? Now, nothing about this. I'm not going to complain about the Midwest. These are all wonderful places, okay? Would you rather live in Manhattan Beach, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, wherever you choose, California, okay? Newport Beach. I don't want to slide anybody. Or in some of these other areas. Now I know it costs more to live here, but you get me. You you get more pay here, and you have the opportunity of playing the best in a rich, full conference now, and a traditional football program. There are no limitations on USC football as far as finances, as far as support. As far as anything. So if you're a coach out there, you've got to look at this as a great opportunity for you. I would look at it as an honor. I wouldn't even want to be paid. I'd say pay me what you want because it's a chance to go to play or coach at a great university. I think it has to be a name that has an impact so that players out there immediately turn around and say, wow, I'm now interested in USC because there's going to be decommits. 
during this period of time. Because some players wanted to go to USC because of Lane Kiffin. But you want it to be a name, and I don't know if they've even talked to this guy, and I don't even know him personally. I'm just throwing a name out, John Gruden. Like if you said, John Gruden is at SC? Are you kidding me? He's a he's an NFL maker. He's a quarterback maker. He's won a Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? He's at SC? I want to look at that program. Because of his TV exposure recently, he's huge. He's huge. And if he gets the right staff, he's not been in recruiting. But if he goes in the home... People will say, wow, I met John Gruden. They're not going to say, wow, I met Harvey Hyde. So <laughs> I, I just think that if they can get a name like Kevin Sumlin, who coached Johnny Football, or somebody that's been successful out there that makes an impact to the parents, to the high school coaches, and to the athletes, you got a chance. And also, you better put a fence around California. Don't recruit nationally all the time unless you have to. There's great, talented coaches or players in Southern California, and you better hire some coaches that know Southern California. Not all your coaches from Alabama, Kansas, Oregon. Not that Oregon doesn't recruit the Pac-12, but you better hire a few local coaches and great recruiters with reputations who can coach to be on your staff. Now, John Gruden just one of them. I'm talking about others that are out there too, but we don't have time to discuss them. I just mean it's got to be an impact name. Makes sense, Coach. All right. Well, we got a lot to we got months to to speculate on who the next coach will be, so I'm sure we'll get into that a lot more. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Great stuff, and we will uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Ryan, thank you very much, buddy, and uh, take care, everyone. We'll be with you next week. All right. Thanks uh, to Southern California Tickets and back with uh, in 30 seconds with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit circlemarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Obviously, lots of Stuff has been going on a little over 24 hours ago, <laughs> or I guess, yeah. yeah, I mean, crazy stuff. The one thing, Dan, is crazy. I tweeted this out. USC, in the beginning of the third quarter of the Arizona State game, marched down the field in two plays and took the lead. And yeah. since that point, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah, uh, you know, for those who thought, boy, if we only uh, figured out what the, uh, what the deal is uh, scoring in the third quarter and here they come out looking like, uh, you know, a Pete Carroll team. 
like they'd figured it all out, comfortable, confident. Uh, not sure we've ever seen anything like that. I mean, I, I kept thinking, this is like that, you know, none of us were uh, there, but that Notre Dame game with Anthony Davis in the, you know, 55-24 turnaround game. I'm thinking, is this what it felt like for Notre Dame people? Uh, <laughs> that was worse. But uh, I, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. I don't think anybody else has. Uh, Pat Hayden and Max Nakia's head—that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was. If they could have put a sign on the on their head, I mean, they're standing literally at the end of the bench, and when you watched them, you know, and then J.K. McKay would come walking by, and you thought they're having that meeting—the meeting that is going to decide exactly what they're doing. They're having it right at the end of the bench in front of 64,000 and some people. And they were. Yeah, we <laughs> had a picture of it. You take your eyes off of them. I mean, they were still talking. We didn't get down there, you know, till the five-minute mark, and they're still talking. We got the I mean, we it got was a obvious. Pic- there it was, you know. Yeah. yeah. And there's some guy yelling it. God, you know. Uh, an Arizona State fan, but last minute or so of the game, he comes down to the fence, and it's only like 10 feet from the bench. And he's yelling at the USC players at the top of his lungs. How does it feel to be playing for the worst coach in college football? Just screaming at him. Wow. <laughs> it was it was ugly. We got, we actually have a picture and, picture of those two guys talking. Tim Lutz did a nice job taking that picture, so we got yeah, to put it in yeah. your story. We tweeted it out, but it's funny. You can really see that they're in they're engaged in some major conversation. Obviously, it turned out to be Lane Kiffin's gone. It couldn't have been more obvious. I mean, it was it was as serious as it could possibly, and you just never see that. Uh, you know, with the athletic director and the president of the university, and, and they're basically on the bench, and they're in front of everybody else. And it wasn't just uh, you know a conversation about you know what the weather was like in uh, Tempe. Uh, it was uh, you know they I give them credit. It had to be done. I mean, I'll be honest. I was telling people, once you know in your mind that Lane isn't the right answer going forward, I was telling people, you know, even if they won in Arizona State, I think they needed to do it uh, for going forward. I think USC right now had to get the answer, had to get the a path in the direction, an obvious path for everybody, uh, you know, as soon as possible. This this was not something that could wait till the end of the year. It wasn't going to get better. Uh, it 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 was you know one of Lane's favorite you know favorite lines. It is what it is. There wasn't any changing uh, the direction of of the program after you know to have a team so badly prepared that they score seven points uh, against Washington State at home. Then a couple of weeks later, and lose. And then a couple of weeks later, they score 41 points against a clearly much better Arizona State team on the road and lose. It just wasn't working, and it wasn't ever going to work. And uh, it's time for everybody to get on with the uh, rest of their lives. And that's <laughs> what happened. Um, we, I, we wanna, there's a lot of stuff we want to talk about with the coaching search, and there's questions on that. Like I said, I'm, we're not going to go through every single question we got. We're going to try to generalize these because there's just so much 
going on here. The big news, you know, being the the coaching search and all of that. But we're gonna get we'll get to all that. But I, I guess a few thoughts on the game first, Dan. Maybe before we we get into that, what you thought uh, went on? You know, giving up sixty two points, it tied for the USC record, the most points you know ever in the history of USC football. That that they've given up. Uh, you you mentioned that they scored in the third quarter, but then it just kind of fell apart after that. Third downs were still a problem. Overall, what did you what did you think about the game? I think two things. One, uh, Arizona State did a magnificent job of preparing that team. They they you know that it was their third tough game in a row, and uh, and they got kind of a beat down themselves the week before at Stanford, and. Uh, to see the way they use guys, uh, that they get the most out of uh, Marion Grice. I mean, is a scoring machine, and uh, it, 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 so much of it is is the things they do with him, the way they attack you, and they when they get in the red zone, and how they match him up. Uh, you know, much more. You know, stuff that USC's never thought about doing in terms of the way they execute the, all of the back shoulder throws that you know. I don't, how often do you see USC run those, run those, you know, back shoulder throws, or even when the guy's covered, they complete them. Uh, I just thought uh, their offensive line was unbelievably uh, well prepared, you know, to handle USC's defensive line. The quick throws, the way they, uh, the way Taylor Kelly got rid of the ball. I just thought, okay, that's what a professional coaching staff uh, and, a, and, a, and a professional approach to a college football game looks like uh, tremendous job by them and all I can think of it for that defensive performance is sloppy and and uh, unfocused and uh, the lack of ability to tackle it looked like last year and you do wonder we're not in practice but we're hearing much more about oh no uh, the first teams don't go against one another anymore uh, no it's almost all we go against the scout team. Uh, and you do wonder, uh, and maybe for a guy like Clancy Pendergast, he wasn't here last year. And maybe he doesn't realize, you know, once you start going into protective mode in practice, uh, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Clancy had talked about how you've got to practice the way you play. But from talking to the kids and asking Lane a couple of different times, they're practicing differently now. And they've, you know, you go down to 56, you know, originally recruited scholarship players that you're taking to Arizona State, you know, you have to say, yeah, and Lane said, yeah, you have to practice different. Well, if that's going to be the result, I don't think you can practice differently. You can't become, you know, when Lane uh, referenced that, okay, we've got an NFL roster uh, in terms of numbers. But you can't practice like an NFL team. You don't have NFL players. You got you know twenty year olds, not thirty year olds, and um, uh, that's what it looked like to me. It looked like that the uh, slowdown in practice <clears throat> really caught up with the defense on the worst possible night against an Arizona State team playing for its life. Now the interesting thing is, you know, for a half. USC almost looked like it was playing for his life. Still too many mistakes and, and what have you, but they were, you know, executing. And uh, then, boom, the, <laughs> who's, who's ever seen the defense, you know, even the possibility that the defense would, would play like that. Um, 
I also showed, you know, USC's got a couple of pretty good young running backs, darn it. I mean, uh, Justin Davis, the the ability to go the distance, you know, against a a decently athletic team, uh, that surprised me. I mean, that was um, his uh, his 58-yarder taking it to the house. That's – you would think USC can figure out going forward some ways to take advantage of that. They can't keep having the offensive breakdowns in the line. They've got to figure out something about that. That's just uh, too many mistakes, you know. And I mean, you know, they get a sack right away. How do you go out there with a play that, you know, this is on the script. You're gonna, it's right at the top of your script, and you can't <laughs> execute it. Yeah. That's not – you can't do that. That – that just negates, you know, any value of, of, of practice. I mean, you've got to get those things right. And they have to be, and maybe it's, you know, Arizona State did something different and USC wasn't ready for it. Then, then there, maybe there's a complexity level. You know, with, with the way the running backs are running, maybe you have to become significantly simpler uh, going forward. And, and just taking advantage of, of the talent that you have and trying to figure out a way to take out the complexity that obviously has to be there that causes those missed assignments, on, you know, on the offensive line. That has to stop. They can't, they can't be a good football team if they keep making uh, mistakes on the offensive line. Can't be. It's just it's not possible. It doesn't look like they've come up with any answers yet, and maybe that was kind of the – part of the overall approach, the NFL-style approach for college kids. You know, I mean, how many teams do that well? Stanford does it really well. And Alabama, even though they're, going to, they're throwing the ball more, is kind of in that mold. USC isn't Stanford and Alabama. and They don't really recruit the same kind of players, and they sure as heck weren't able to coach them the same way. There's a, a discipline and a toughness with guys like Shaw and uh, Nick Saban that, that just doesn't exist at USC and might not ever exist exactly that way. So I think USC has to find maybe a little bit different you know, way and diff- different approach to the offense. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. And one, one last thing on the defense, uh, Dan. I, I, it looked like they – Exposed the middle of the USC defense that it was a, you know it's attacking style you're gonna there's risk reward there um, I thought maybe Chucky Keaton could have done a little bit more of the zone read that we got would see Taylor Kelly do and had a lot of success with but I think a lot of the Arizona State offense too when they were throwing those back throwers shows I mean I, it looked like they were completing passes where defenders were right there it wasn't like these guys were wide open there was some you know up the middle certainly the tight ends got loose up there but. So a lot of the passes to the sidelines and, and deeper down the field, there were back shoulder throws that seemed to be perfect execution by the offense and just kind of was like piling on. It was like just not the USC defense's day. They made some mistakes, but I think Arizona State played really well too. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, uh, they were they just could not have been better prepared for USC. I mean, it was it, it was a pleasure to watch a team that well-prepared. I mean, they got every bit out of their ability, every single bit. And then you'd go watch USC and you'd see, uh, you know, they'd run some pattern where all three guys are perfectly covered <laughs> and no opportunity to throw the ball. And this discouragement level, this is one of the, the, the most negative things we saw all night is 
is uh, Cody is scrambling and scrambling, and they've got three guys in two fairly deep pattern and a third, uh, you know, 15 yards, 18 yards downfield is a short guy. And uh, Cody is running and running and running for his life, and not one, not one of the three receivers came back to help him out. He basically just stood there and watched him until he finally had to run out of bounds. But nobody came back and tried to find an open spot, tried to find, you know, you know, let Cody know, you know, you can hit me, you know, here, or I'm going there. They were really discouraged. If I were Cody, I'd be really discouraged too. I mean, I think he's, you know, he's playing really well. If you consider neither one of the interceptions was his fault, the one obviously that went through Marquise's hands that Cody thought he had a touchdown, uh, probably the game turner around. Uh, and then um, uh, even though they did get a lead uh, later on, I think that really would have changed things. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the pick six, was a you know was a uh, mistake with the receivers both who called the wrong who, who called the wrong uh, wrong look and uh, and and did the wrong thing and Cody doesn't see that I mean it's a it's a play where he doesn't get a chance to really read that safety who came over but the guys who should have read it didn't and read it wrong and uh, that's another. The level of complexity shouldn't put your quarterback into into that situation. I mean, uh, uh, Taylor Kelly wasn't in the situation where he's going to have to throw something that uh, is going to get him in, you know, tremendous trouble if uh, his players don't read it right. And uh, that's that kind of USC is in that kind of you know offense that's too complex for the players to get it right, and uh, not as difficult for teams to defend. That has to go away. That just you can't have your quarterback, you know, where he can't even really read, read it, and has to depend on players who are getting the calls wrong. And why are they still getting the calls wrong at this? You know, I, I didn't didn't look like Arizona State got too many of their calls wrong. No. <laughs> uh, so I mean, that's just. I think if you're, you know, if you're USC uh, powers that be standing on the sidelines and watching what's going on, you see one team that really looks well-prepared and one team that really didn't look well-prepared. And, and I just think USC deserves a really good coach. You, you can't have the, the tradition and the history and uh, the potential of a USC football program and not have a great coach. You have to have a great coach. And uh, it just wasn't working out. All right. Well, we talked about the game, and I know most people want to talk about the coaching stuff, and that's where a lot of the questions come in. So I'll try to go through these uh, fairly quickly, Dan. We'll just get your thoughts on what's going on. We have a couple of voicemail questions and some uh, some email ones. But the first one, we had several people write in about what did Pat Hayden say about being behind Lane Kiffin 100%. He put that video out on, I believe, July 25th, and then leading up to his firing. How did that go about? Well, I, I, I agree with Pat. I mean, he said uh, the point is we're 100% behind the coaches until they're not our coaches. And um, I, I do think uh, pretty much they gave Lane everything he wanted in terms of, you know, the ability to hire assistant coaches, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, backing him up, uh, you know, in every interview, every chance they got. Uh, I thought uh, uh, they couldn't have been more supportive. And to be honest, you didn't hear any negative words 
around, you know, the team or the campus or the program or anything else. I mean, there were, it was, I've been places where the coach is on his way out and you really knew it and everybody, uh, you know, was talking about it and that didn't happen at USC and the kids, you know, the players, the assistant coaches, I think we knew, for example, you had to not be happy if you were some of the assistant coaches, never heard that, never saw it. You know, they, they were as loyal as you could possibly be. And, uh, I thought that came through in the press conference yesterday, but, uh, but, uh, no, I thought that was the right approach that, that, that they were a hundred percent behind him until he's not, you know, not the coach anymore. And, uh, I thought, I thought that was correct. And I, you know, I think if, uh, uh, you know, you can say he's not on the hot seat and, uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, before the season, he's not on the hot seat. I think he should have been, but he wasn't. Um, should have been on the hot seat, you know, from, sun, you know, probably halftime at the Sun Bowl. Uh, but, uh, but then I think, uh, uh, you know, Pat limited it to his comments were how uh, from the Hawaii game on. He basically said it was the uh, lack of progress and the lack of consistency in the direction of the program in the five games starting with Hawaii. And I, I thought that was a fair way to go. He gave them, you know, he didn't go back to the Sun Bowl. He didn't go back to last year. He said this year just wasn't working, that they should have been better. They should have been going in a different direction than they were. And, uh, you know, it, it came down to what was going on this year. So I think if you limit it to this year, I think they were – um, kind of a hundred percent behind him. I mean, they didn't force him to not call the plays. They didn't, you know, say Lane, you can't be the uh, offensive coordinator. Um, they they kind of let Lane be Lane, and uh, this is what happened. Yeah, <laughs> um, we also have a bunch of questions about the coaching search and Aaron in Cincinnati. I figured I'd, I'd read that one for you. He's just Good. he basically wanted to know how do you think the coaching search is going to work? Is there a firm, or how how is that going to come down? Well, they've used uh, they've used that you know personnel firm. They got involved with uh, with uh, uh, Andy Enfield's search. Now, whether they'll you know follow that search in football or not, I think I would just because it allows you to be hands off. You can say we haven't contacted this guy because they've got plenty of time early, as they did with Kevin O'Neill. They've got plenty of time here, and and you really do want deniability. Uh, you want to be able to say. Um, no, we haven't contacted your coach when that fan base gets a little nervous or whatever. And, uh, and so I, I do like, you know, that idea of pre-qualifying guys because I think they need to do a lot of pre-qualifying because there are a lot of people maybe that it isn't worth wasting your time on, as they found out, I think, in basketball fairly early. Uh, and that allows you to maybe know a little bit better what you're dealing with yourself because you don't want any – when it comes, when put, you know, when it comes to the final. Okay, now we gotta, you know, hire somebody, and we don't have any time to waste. You do not want at that point in time people turning you down. You want, you know, to really know this guy will take it. This guy, you know, and uh, that has to start early. But uh, you don't want Pat Hayden making those calls. So, uh, so I think they'll, I think they'll do it that way. And uh, you know, whether they have you know, a sense of we're not going to the NFL for all kinds of reasons. Other than, you know, the guys having a really good year in the NFL at whatever level, 
he's not going to be available for, and you don't know how long he's not yeah. going to be available. I mean, do you want to have a guy, you don't, you can't bring him in till signing day. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a, that's a, a, a starter. I, I, I'd be interested to know. And I don't think we're going to know, you know, cause they may just out of uh, courtesy say, you know, uh, NFL guys are not, uh, you know, not being considered, but, um, it would be hard for me at this point to to look seriously at an NFL guy. I, I mean, I think with Pete, he was like a non-guy at that point in terms of coaching. He had had right. all kinds of college jobs, and he'd had the uh, you know the two head coaching jobs in the NFL. But he was kind of a a combo hybrid sort of a guy. You know, he'd been at you know all kinds of you know Arkansas and and North Carolina State and Ohio State and you know, a lot of different, you know, college jobs. So Pete clearly understood, you know, college football, and he wasn't attached at the time to an NFL team. So uh, I think that kind of model maybe, yes. Is there somebody out there like that? I can't think of one. But, uh, but, but a guy who's functioning at a high level in the NFL right now, that would just seem to be a hard hard pull uh, to get them uh, in here in time and to do all the college stuff that's needed to be done at USC right now. So, you know, huh. uh, but I, I do think, though, I think the basketball coaching search gives you some idea of, of how to do it, and that was successful, and they did a, they really did a good job. They did their homework. I think they were pleased with how that went. Uh, that they got the most out of their uh, out of their efforts, uh, that it was uh, collegial, and that everybody at USC got involved in it, and uh, every you know kind of everybody listened to everybody. I think Pat was pleased at, at how that worked, and uh, uh, so I, I'm looking forward. I, I think it, that's the way it's going to go. I don't think it's going to be a big uh, let's find a USC guy uh, deal. I mean, I, I think you know, it's going to come down to you look at a guy like, uh, say, Chris Peterson at Boise State, and you say, is he the guy? Is he the right guy? And you qualify somebody like that, you know, and is he the right guy from his point of view and from USC's point of view? And you get, you know, three guys eventually maybe who are, are the guy. And then you, you really, you know, see which one, which one is, you know, is it, right, is it the right time for him to take the USC job? Uh, but... Well, we got That's, uh, I think, <laughs> I, you know, my guess would be they don't even know how this is going to work until they start talking to people and getting feedback and, uh, you know, having people react to being talked to. Yeah. And again, some of that is, you know, some of these guys are locked into some really significantly long-term contracts who you'd be interested in for sure. But, uh, you know what are the you know what's the buyout situation, and and do you go with guys? Somebody I think made a, a good point on the P today. Do you go with a guy who's had you know one, one or so really bright moments, but that's also tied into one really bright quarterback. Let's say, uh, you know, I mean you could look at you know Texas A&M and and uh, to some extent and Louisville to some extent and say. Gosh, what happens when that particular coach doesn't have that particular quarterback? Uh, where does that leave us? 
and, and those are, you know, those are tough judgments. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know where, you know, it's, 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 it's not easy. That's why they <laughs> pay some people the big bucks. I mean, uh, uh, going forward, I don't think I don't think we know how how you how do you evaluate uh, you know the kind of people who are you know going to get tossed in the mix whether they want to or not. How do you and how do you know how much of it is uh, I'm going to get locked into even a longer term contract at really big bucks if I talk to USC or my agent talks to USC. I can't have a better deal as far as I'm concerned. And that's where you need to really pre-qualify those guys and, and know if you're, uh, if you're dealing with somebody who you want who might come uh, or somebody who's, uh, who realizes, wow, this is a great way to get me up into the upper, upper echelon <laughs> of uh, highly paid college football coaches. Um, all right, we got a few more I want to get to. We'll have to go through fairly quickly. But Chad Riverside okay. wants wants to know if uh, do you think the Trojans are going to hire another assistant coach, probably someone on the defensive side, like a DB coach or a D line coach. I'd be surprised. I, I don't see that. I think uh, there's so much involved in the USC job uh, in terms of you know you know what first and second you know biggest most important media market in the world. Um, man, I mean, for example, somebody, they always push the Alabama assistants and you think, let me see the guys who aren't allowed to talk to the media aren't allowed to be interviewed. Have, I mean, I heard a, one of them got a head coaching job. I think it was two years ago and I won't name the school. I remember his first press conference and he was basically inarticulate to the point of almost not being able to respond to a question. And uh, that really matters in Los Angeles. I mean, when they put you up against the wall there at McKay Center, although who knows whether, uh, you know, the new guy will let you into practice or not. But uh, uh, based on the track record of most college coaches, maybe not. But um, uh, you really better be able to handle yourself. And uh, I think, you know, one of the, the problems that Lane had was he knew he wasn't Pete Carroll. He didn't want to be Pete Carroll. And that was the right thing. He couldn't be Pete Carroll. But he tried to really not be Pete Carroll and to be himself. But some of the ways he was himself didn't work. And you do have to come across in ways. And he, there were ways he could be good with the media. He just wasn't all the time. And... Uh, uh, I think you really need somebody who can make the case for USC, for his players, and for himself better than than Lane was able to do it. Uh, it just didn't. It, it just didn't, you know, come across uh, in ways in which you need a USC coach to come across. And and that's one of the hard things I think in 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 uh, you know picking a, an assistant who who hasn't done that almost at all. I mean, just the fact that Andy Enfield had two years as a head coach. I mean, he had a great reputation as a recruiter and uh, uh, basketball mind, what he'd done as, a, uh, as an instructor at the NBA level, what he'd done as a recruiter uh, for uh, Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. He had all of that going for him uh, and his own personality and his own uh, you know, persona. But 
he needed those two years as the head coach at Florida Gulf Coast, and he needed that NCAA run. So you really got a sense of who this guy is, how you know what's his makeup, how's he going to handle uh, this kind of thing or that kind of thing. And I don't know that a coordinator, and there are plenty of examples of guys that you know gone from coordinator to, I mean, could Chip Kelly have done any better a job, you know, in, in right. modern college <laughs> football history than he did, you know, coming out of University of New Hampshire one year and coordinator at Oregon, and then boom, you know, changed college football. So it certainly happens. Can USC hope that they could do that? I think that's a longer shot than uh, than maybe you want to take. Um, you mentioned Nick Saban. Here's an interesting question. We'll go through this one quick for you. Hey, guys. Uh, Andrew from San Diego. And I was just wondering when they're making all these pre-lists about coaches being hired for the SC job, why don't they talk about Saban or Urban Meyer? I mean, we're SC. Why should we settle for up-and-coming guys? Can't we just go out and get the best? I know we have the pocketbook to do it. Uh, thanks again. Love the podcast. Hey, I think uh, they're a dollar late in a day, they're a day late and a dollar short or whatever for uh, Urban Meyer. I do think uh, uh, Urban would have uh, taken a look at it the last time. I, I really do. I think he's, you know, almost made it clear. And Urban, you know, wouldn't have been the uh, uh, the easiest guy to deal with, you know, from our standpoint. But I think he would have, he'd he'd have been Urban. Now, whether you, you know, that might work. Didn't he work at Gainesville? Uh, ultimately, uh, when you combine off the field with on the field, uh, whether it's going to work in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, uh, cumulatively, at least he has his Gainesville experiences, his learning experience, at, 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 you know, at Columbus. But, yeah, he could be – I don't think there's any question he could be successful here at USC uh, when you look at his track record and what he did at Utah. Uh, and uh, just say, though, that, you know, this is uh, – you know, this is USC. Uh, I think as good as USC's job is – it's probably hard to say that uh, that you can take a coach away from Ohio State who's really doing well, and that's his home state. Uh, probably hard to say that the guy's just going to drop Ohio State, and, and you know, especially he's just gone there, uh, he'd get killed reputation-wise <laughs> and every every other way if he did that. Now, uh, Nick Saban, uh, you know, whether there's there's probably for him. The personal challenge of doing it again at Alabama is probably as strong as you know taking a move into a uh, you know a, a situation that he hasn't been before, a private university in the kind of a media market in town where maybe some of his uh, uh, controlling uh, the way he's able to control the entire program uh, it wouldn't be quite as possible, and uh, who knows if he even would want, you know, the challenge of dealing with Los Angeles, for example, uh, a whole different world. Now, you know, some guys say, wow, that'd be cool. But uh, I, I probably, I think that might be more trouble than it, more, more effort than it's really worth. Uh, I think Texas could, you know, pre-qualify Nick, and he might say, you know, that's one more place. I, I could go there. I could see him saying that to himself a little bit more than see him saying that about USC. I think you'd have to have some kind of connection, some 
way of looking at USC that maybe we don't know about. Now, I think we knew Urban Meyer kind of had a, a sense of USC, and some of that is he coached at Utah. He, he's also kind of a Big Ten kind of a guy. But uh, Nick Saban, you know, coached at Michigan State, but and just he just I don't see him as somebody that might have that kind of a, a connection to what USC football is all about. Uh, and you'd have to have that a little bit. And, uh, I mean, Pete Carroll, because of his daughter playing volleyball here, his wife had, uh, you know, was a, was an athlete herself. And the fact that, uh, I think her uh, father had been a USC guy. So the family kind of had a USC connection that, that, that Pete had made already before he got the job. And it made him really want the job. Obviously he needed to, you know, to get back into coaching. But absent that, I don't think you can, you know, come up with a guy like a, uh, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban. All right. Uh, that's one last voicemail question for you. Here you go, Dan. Yeah, the first part of this is for Pat Hayden. I just want to thank him for finally doing it. Um, I would have done it after the El Paso fiasco, but that's just me. In fairness to Lane Kiffin, he was in way over his head. He never should have had any of the jobs he's gotten. He doesn't have the seasoning. Um, number two, if I'm Pat Hayden, I'm flying back to Indianapolis today. I'm getting in Mark Emmer's office alone, and I'm saying, listen, if you don't pull it off right now, we're going to take you to a downtown L.A. jury. We're going to sue the crap out of you. We're going to take those emails from the Todd McNair case, and we're going to expose them totally. SC did nothing. SC did nothing. How does it help us that an agent wants to lure Reggie Bush away early and his parents take money? Hats off to Penn State. They should have never had it either. Jerry Sandusky should have been in jail, and that should have been the end of it. But um, the last part is, uh, to Ed O'Dron, good luck. Um, I don't know what he can do with this season, but uh, that Justin Davis kid, I'm seeing flashbacks to Anthony Davis and Clarence Davis. He's fantastic. He needs to get the ball more. And that's about it. Fight on. Yeah, right on, right on. I, I, I think you, you know you're on the money. I think I would sit down with Emmert with two things on the table. Uh, they uh, clearly the uh, the emails and the correspondence. UIC should be demanding, should have demanded that a year, you know, last November when it came out. It's your, you know, UIC should have said, look, you use those to give us the biggest penalty in modern football history. Uh, un- undeservedly so. We went along with it, and now we found out that we got framed. We got railroaded. The only person who's looked at these from an impartial standpoint, Judge Schaller, said so. Uh, we need to see these before we know what we're going to do, what our next move is. And we're going to have a press conference here, and they're going to tell the whole world. And we're not leaving until we get a chance to see those, and then we're going to decide what we're going to do. And you don't dare keep those from us. Uh, uh, that would be the first thing. The second thing, you would be demanding that the scholarships be returned because of uh, the health dangers and the safety issues and all of the things that USC should have been spending the last three years uh, building a case for. Uh, in this day and age, with the uh, emphasis on uh, limiting contact and uh, you know the uh, uh, all the uh, concussion issues in college football, to Ask a team to go to a, uh, a game against Arizona State with 56 healthy, uh, originally recruited scholarship players is criminal. It's criminal. I mean, it's it's ab- and it's uh, uh, for example, the NCAA has no medical data, no safety uh, studies saying that that's okay to do, that 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 that's uh, the right thing to do, or 
even uh, you know even remotely justified as a way of giving penalties. It's not track. You can take a track scholarship away, and you're not going to get somebody killed unless he runs in front of a javelin. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just it, it's so different and it's so wrong. And USC should not have put up with it. They should have started the you know July 11th or whatever, June 11th or whatever it was, the day after in 2010 when the penalties came down to try to figure out how to get those scholarships restored. And uh, it's way too late uh, now, but you still got to start and you got to get them back. And uh, you know it's got to be a two-track thing. But uh, the NCA is so exposed on that issue. They didn't consider one health-related issue in doing that. And to say that it's unintended consequences, they knew absolutely what was going to happen because, uh, because they hit USC two ways. They, you know, they gave them the limitation of 75 and then they gave them a 15 scholarship per year. They knew what they were doing and they knew with the natural attrition, with guys leaving for the NFL, with guys getting hurt, with guys getting, uh, you know, academic issues and just the natural, what happens in college they knew USC was going to be way under the 75. I think USC ought to start by saying, we will have 75 at all times, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get to 75. However many we, you know, we have to sign in, in February, however many, if we have to, you know, whatever we have to do, we're going to have 75 at the very least, and then fight for the, next, for the other 10. But, uh, uh, and I think they need to get the Pac-12 to back them. They need unanimous support of the Pac-12 in that effort. And uh, that has to be something that Pat Hayden, you know, probably ought to be working on harder than, than coming up with the new coach. Yeah. Makes sense, Dan. Good stuff. And uh, I know we went a little long, but thanks very much for coming on. The, the craziest week of USC football in quite a while. And really, that's saying so. <laughs> That's saying yeah, something. Yeah, that's saying something. There have been a lot of crazy weeks. I mean, <laughs> uh, you, know, there's, uh, un, you know, the non-crazy weeks are probably out, outnumbered by the crazy weeks, but uh, it's never not interesting. That's the one thing we – and it was getting a little uninteresting. Uh, so now, now it's it going to be interesting again. Great. We'll right. see. they still got a chance. Yeah, they got a chance. Eight games left, so we'll see what, what happens from here. And, but. you know, with uh, – Star wide receiver Buck Allen leading the way. There you I go. Think, uh, as someone asked the coach three weeks ago, it was, uh, what do you think about Buck Allen at wide receiver? Nah, I don't think we're going to go that route. Well, I think we might be going that route. It could be. All right, well, thanks very much, and uh, we will uh, talk to you again soon. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to come back, and we're going to try a uh, Armchair Quarterback Podcast a little later on the week, so stay tuned for that, and thanks again for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.